Let us turn now in the scriptures together to 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1. I will read the first 18 verses. Hear the word of God. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha, And ask him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to the heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent fifty men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go?
Anyone looking forward to early retirement? Finally, you'll be able to get all those chores done around the house. Of course, as you know, they multiply even more once you get in that position. Finally, you'll be able to leave this place when winter strikes. And finally, if you can only retire early, you'll be able to read all those books that you've always wanted to read. Well, there are always problems with retirement, and you have to remember that also. If you retire, you're stepping down from the position that you've held for some time, and you'll probably be locked into a fixed income, and who knows what the economy will bring in a few years. Well, if you're going to retire, you might as well do it right. Do it as Elijah did it. Rather than stepping down, step up at your retirement. Elijah triumphantly retires in glory. As you look at the end of Elijah's life, you can see three things that mark the conclusion of his career. He ascends to glory after after a career of conflict. He ascends in the presence of many successors. And he ascends as an act of glorious triumph. As you look at these three things, you cannot help but be reminded also of the end of our Lord Christ's career, the way in which he also ascended as he retired from his work on earth. Let's look at these three elements of Elijah's ascent to glory. First of all, Elijah ascended after a career of conflict. Do you remember from the scripture reading last week as to how Elijah began his career? How he started his prophetic ministry? He was called upon by God to have a face-to-face confrontation with Ahab. He came into the middle of the palace and said, No rain, there shall be no rain except at my command. And then he had to flee and to hide for the next three and a half years. You know, that's quite a difficult thing for a young preacher to take, to preach one sermon and then have to go into hiding for the next three and a half years of his career. Ahab sought him relentlessly. The, The picture of Elijah must have been on every poster in the whole of the northern kingdom. Now at the end of his life of service, where is Elijah now? What is his circumstance? In his old age, he is still face to face in confrontation now with Ahaziah, the king who is the son of Ahab. Ahaziah got sick and he sent messengers to Baalzebub, the king of Ek, or the god of Ekron. Elijah was told to intercept those messengers and send a message back to Ahaziah. What is it that you're doing? Sending messengers to, the, to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Isn't there a god in Israel for you, you to seek aid? Because you have sinned in this way, you shall die from this illness. Conflict. Always conflict. And what had Elijah gained? What progress has, had he made after all of that lifetime of conflict? 
Well, Jehoram, the second son of Ahab, mounts the throne of Israel, and idolatry and apostasy continue to run rampant. The God of Israel is shamed on every front. You can see a very similar situation, a similar pattern in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ preached his first maiden sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, what kind of response did they get? Did he get? They indeed admired the words of grace that came from his lips. But when he had concluded his sermon, his hometown people tried to seize him and cast him off that large cliff on which Nazareth is situated. And as for the end of his life, as for the end of his career, well, you know that one of those twelve into whom Christ had poured himself trying to make disciples, one of those twelve betrays him. All of the rest turn away from him. And even that close one, Peter, denied his Lord. Sometimes as a Christian, you get weary of conflict. You get tired of it. You as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ were in a massive conflict in the previous denomination with which you were associated. When men began to deny the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and when they began to affirm certain ways of moral walking that were so deliberately contrary to the teaching of the word of God, you were in a conflict. But now, even in this circumstance, you are going to continue to have conflict. The world is the same, and even within the church, there are going to be people talking here and people saying things there that they shouldn't be saying. And you're going to be hurt because we as Christians throughout our lives are in conflict. But remember, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you cannot run with the horses, what are you going to do in the swelling of the Jordan? Cheer up. More conflict ultimately is going to mean more victory for you. For you already have been declared by the Lord to be more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a mean world out there. Even your best friends at work, you know you cannot trust them too far. For if it's either them or you, then you know who is going to get cut. But you, by faith, can overcome in this world. Elijah may not appear as a victor. He may not have overturned the ruling political authority of his day. But God shows in the end that Elijah clearly was the victor. Swooped up in a chariot of fire, he gloriously and triumphantly ascends to share in God's rule over the whole of the world. Johnny Erickson has started a new ministry. She has noticed that there are many people in our country that have hearing impairment problems. She has been moved with compassion for the hundreds of thousands of people that have need in that particular area. Why is it that Johnny Erickson should be the one that should note that particular need? Why is it that she should have the drive to do something in an organized way to minister to that particular need? 
the victorious paraplegic, painting with her teeth to the glory of God, radiating the joy of the Lord in all the circumstances of her life, shows that she can be more than conqueror through our Lord Jesus Christ, moving out in faith to minister to others. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you also shall be revealed in glory with him. Now you may not have thought about it, And it is true that sometimes the Lord chastens us. He corrects us to get us in the right path for our own good. But you may not have realized that essentially all sufferings that a Christian undergoes are for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those headaches that you have in work, that frustration of feeling that you that you experience so many times in life. Those are sufferings for the sake of Christ. You have none other as a Christian. And the scriptures say, if you suffer with him, you also will be glorified together with him. You might say, who, me? My sufferings? I can't see how my sufferings are for Christ's sake. It's not that I'm being so directly persecuted for bearing the name of Christ. Oh, no. But you're a candle. You're a light. You're here in this world for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever pain and anguish you endure ultimately is for the sake and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. But don't run away from the conflicts. Don't weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if. What's the conclusion of the if? If you faint not. Don't fold up now. Endure until the end. And you shall ascend to glory with our Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, Elijah ascended after a career of conflict. And you can expect the same. Secondly, Elijah ascended in the presence of successors. He ascended in the presence of successors. At one point in his career, Elijah said, I only am left. There are no others but me. At Carmel, you can see why he thought that way. He stood altogether alone. There were 450 prophets of Baal, and there was not a single person to stand with him. I only am left. He must have thought. When he fled to Sinai, hiding in a cave, he said, Take my life, Lord, for I only am left and there are no others. It's a good thing the Lord didn't hear that prayer and take his life. For look at the chariot ride that Elijah would have missed if the Lord had taken him at that point. He had a much greater plan for him than that abbreviated end of life. But now, Before his departure, before his retirement, look at Elijah. He certainly can't say, I only am left. 
He's got to make the rounds among all the prophetic schools that have sprung up all over Israel. He's got to go down to Bethel, and there are the schools of the prophets, and he has to talk with them a while. And then he has to go down to Jericho, and there's another school of the prophets, and he's got to talk with them a while before he departs and goes to heaven. And then he goes down to the Jordan, and there are 50 prophets to watch him as he and Elijah cross the Jordan River. What a tremendous thing has happened. I only am left. Why, prophets, he's multiplied himself a hundredfold in his lifetime. Elijah always had 7,000 companions. He may not have known it, but they were there. And the schools of the prophets were were thriving in the land. God never will leave himself without a witness. Always there will be others that will be there to carry forward the work. Don't fret. Don't say, oh no, I've got to do this work also. I've got to take on this burden also. There's no one else to do it. It must be done and I'm the only one that's going to be able to do it. Do you remember Mordecai's words to Esther, the queen, when the people of God were being threatened with annihilation? Mordecai sent a message to Esther and said, You must go in to the king, and you must plead our cause before his presence, even though he hasn't asked you. If you don't go in, says Mordecai, then relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from somewhere else. But who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Take heart in successors. It's very tempting to wish that there would be a nice big vacuum if you disappeared. And everybody would miss you a lot. But we should take heart in the fact that God is constantly raising up a wonderful number of people that can do our job better than we. Not only did Elijah have the schools of the prophets, Elijah also had Elisha. And what a successor he was. Do you remember Elisha's call to the ministry and how he responded? Elijah was walking along with that hairy mantle over his back. And he took that mantle off and he draped it over Elisha who was out in the field plowing with a pair of huge oxen. He just kept on walking, that is, Elijah did. Elisha stopped his plowing and went running after him and said, I understand what you've done. You have called me to come and follow you and be a worker alongside you. But give me a little time, would you please? I need to go back home and get everything straight with my family before I go. Elijah just kept on walking. What have I done to you? Go on back home. And Elisha went back and he slew those massive oxen, cut them into pieces destroyed those plows, built a fire, offered a sacrifice to God with the remnants of those things which we, he had, with which he had been plowing and headed out after Elijah. Now, you know, if you're a farmer boy and decide to pour a gasoline can of, a can of gasoline on a couple of John Deere truck or tractors and set them afire, That's not the way to get in good relationships with your dead. Those are expensive things. 
And so it was with oxen in that day. Elisha was very dramatically saying, I cut my ties. You challenge me and I leave father and mother and wife and children and lands for the sake of you, following you and the gospel. Do you know how Elisha was known among his contemporaries? It's written in the scripture. Who's that man? Oh, you mean the one that pours water over the hands of Elijah. What a humble man Elisha was. A man that was truly ready to serve the Lord. Who's that man? Why, he's the one who does the menial task of standing there just waiting to pour water over Elijah's hands when he's ready to eat a meal. And now at the end of his career, Elijah gives Elisha one last test. He says, you stay here a while, Elisha. I'm going on down a little bit further to do the work of the Lord. The Lord's called me down here. And Elisha says, where he's called you, he's called me. I know that one word from God does not contradict another. And if he has called you, then he has called me. And Elijah does it over and over again. You stay here and let me move on down a little bit further. And Elisha says, I'm going to be side by side with you and stride by stride with you. Elisha's eager readiness to take on this difficult role of Elijah should have been tremendously encouraging. It points to the faithfulness of God to maintain the line of the prophet. And ultimately it points to Jesus Christ that final successor of Elijah, that one who came to fulfill and realize the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah triumphantly ascends to glory because he knows that his work is going to be carried on. Do you remember Jesus on the cross? Jesus was about to ascend to glory. His work on earth was completed, humanly speaking. He looked down from the cross and he saw two people who meant an awfully lot to him. Who were the people that he saw? He saw Mary, his mother, and he saw John, the beloved disciple. He meant a lot to his mother, Mary. And at that point, he said before his departure to Mary, Behold thy son. That vacuum that is going to be created by my being taken away is to be fulfilled by John, the beloved one. He will take care of you. He will protect you. He will fulfill the role of a son to you. Now John was the beloved disciple. He had become accustomed to the special care and love that Jesus Christ had manifested to him. And to John, before his departure, Jesus said, Behold, Thy mother, that tender love and care that John would have needed so much, that vacuum will be fulfilled or filled by Mary as a mother to John. Commit your loved ones to the Lord. Commit your work to the Lord. Be encouraged. Your work in the Lord is not going to be in vain. Do you know what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about? You remember the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15? Just a little Bible quiz here. What is 1 Corinthians 15 all about? Well, it deals with the bodily resurrection. 
with the fact that your life is going to end ultimately by a resurrection of your body in which you shall live forever. And the end of that chapter says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because of the glorious transformation that is going to come at the end of your career, you can labor in the Lord without feeling that you're going to be frustrated. Elijah ascended after a career of conflict. Elijah ascended in the presence of many successors. And finally, Elijah ascended in glorious triumph. Try, if you will, to use your sanctified imagination to picture what happened on that occasion. Can you imagine these two men walking side by side in the desert as they had crossed the Jordan? Elijah had taken his robe, rolled it up, and struck the Jordan River, and it had spread open just as it had done for Joshua when the Israelites first came into the land. The two walked across the river, and they started out toward the desert country. Even in that brilliant sun of the east, in that circumstance, they each must have seen a light coming brighter and brighter and approaching them. And as it came closer and closer, they could see that the light was made of flames licking up. And the flames took the form of horses and chariots rushing down. And in the form of a whirlwind, this chariot came down and down and separated the two of them. Elisha flew back, looked, and his companion Elijah was circling back up the whirlwind in the chariot of fire headed toward heaven. What a way to go. What a circumstance. What a tremendous end of a career. But there are two things to notice in particular with respect to this ascent to glory in the chariot of fire. First of all, Elijah's glorious ascent dramatizes the salvation of the body. The salvation of your body. And that's how you are identified as a person. Not just by your spirit, but by your bodily presence. It wasn't just Elijah's spirit that was removed. It was his body that was carried into heaven. The sons of the prophets, you remember they came to Elisha and they said, Elisha, we've got to go find Elijah. The spirit of the Lord must have taken him somewhere. And Elijah says, no, no, you're not going to find him. I saw what happened to him with my own eyes. And they, and they just press on him so long that Elisha knows that he's just embarrassed because he would look like a stubborn hardhead if he doesn't let them go ahead. So he says, all right, go and look for him if you wish. And they go and they search all over the place, 50 of them fanning out in every direction. They had seen them cross the Jordan together and they know something must have happened to Elisha, to Elijah. And they come back with a report that there's no trace of him whatsoever. The body is gone. Many of you may be fearful of death. The mystery of the unknown haunts you. But death is a glorious thing for the Christian. 
Death is not something to be feared, but death is something to be anticipated because it is going to be glorious for you whatever the circumstances of your death may be. God will order those circumstances so that your death as a Christian will glorify and magnify God. It may be the point of your greatest giving of glory to God. Now it may be that you won't even die. You know that, don't you? You know that our Lord Jesus Christ may return with the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ shall rise first, but then we who are alive and remain shall be changed suddenly and be taken up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. That's a hope that you have, that you might never even taste of death because the Lord would come before you die. But if you should die, if he should tarry, that cold specter of death should not frighten you. It is going to be, according to the word of God, an hour of great triumph. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And if perhaps the worst thing that you could imagine could happen to you in your death, and you suffer greatly, even martyrdom for the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ, it will be a glorious moment for you. Nicholas Ridley was a professor at Cambridge University in England. Nicholas Ridley was Bishop of London. Nicholas Ridley was a member of the House of Commons. Nicholas Ridley was convinced of the doctrines of the Reformation. That salvation is not by works, but by faith alone in what Christ has done for us. In the scriptures as the only source of authority for our salvation. And because of those things that he believed with all his heart, Nicholas Ridley was martyred on October 16, 1555. He was burned alive at the stake. He was led out into an open courtyard with a friend, that one who had led him to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, Hugh Latimer. Latimer, being a bishop also, now 70 years of age, was tied back to back with Nicholas Ridley before they were burned alive. When the mistress who was taking care of Nicholas Ridley on the days in the days before he was actually burned. When she began to weep at the prospect of his painful death, he gently but cheerfully comforted her with the assurance that, quote, though my breakfast may be somewhat sharp and painful, yet I am sure my supper shall be more pleasant and sweet. And when his brother offered to spend all night in prayer with him before his martyrdom, Nicholas responded, No, no, that you shall not, for I am determined, God willing, to go to bed and to sleep as quietly tonight as I ever have in my life. When they met at the stake the next morning, Ridley, it is reported, had a wondrous and cheerful look and embraced the old Bishop Latimer. 
They then knelt together in prayer as they sought for the last time the grace of God for victory in their final trial. After they had been chained back to back at the stake, and as the faggots were lit for their burning, Latimer uttered what has been described as the noblest sermon he ever composed. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in, his, in England as I trust shall never be put out. And so it was. And so they did. England became the source of the greatest missionary movement that has ever developed in the world and with its sister America became the greatest source of the spreading of the gospel throughout the whole of the earth that the world has ever seen. And it was all started by the martyrdom of Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. Be assured that your death is going to be a glorious one. And it is not just your spirit, but your body that is going to be saved. The other thing to be noted about this point of glorious transformation as Elijah is taken up in the chariot is that it dramatizes the victory of God's people over all their enemies. All their enemies. Not just death, but all their enemies. This chariot that swooped down from heaven, that's not a chariot of comfort with a cellular telephone in the back seat where Elijah could communicate messages to Elisha for a little while as he was heading back up. No, that's a war chariot. And it's coming to express its power in the world. How can God's enemies fight against a chariot of fire with a seraphim of God surrounding it? That vision of a chariot of fire stuck with Elisha. A few years later, Elisha was having his own conflicts with the king of Syria. The king of Syria was searching all over to try to find Elisha and finally located him in Dothan. He sent a whole troop of soldiers and with their chariots they surrounded the little tent where Elisha was spending the night. Elisha's servant got up this mo that morning pushed open the tent flap, went out and stretched for a moment, started a little fire to get some coffee going, and then he looked up, and all around him were the chariots of the king of Assyria. He almost knocked the tent down as he went back in to his master and said, Elisha, they found us. What are we going to do? Lord, I pray, said Elisha, open his eyes. The servant went back out. And he saw another rank of chariots. Chariots of fire between Elisha and the army of the Syrians. Those chariots are here. Those chariots are present. And they are war chariots of our Lord, the Lord of hosts. You can be assured because of Elijah's glorious transformation into heaven, that you are going to be gloriously triumphant, whatever your circumstances, whatever 
your conflict. Let us pray. O Lord our God, who are we to be worthy of your protecting hand and care? But we receive by faith that which we do not see by sight. We entrust our present and our future to you, and we know that with God we are a mighty army. We ask that you will protect each one of your people in whatever struggle they may have today. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we may see the wonders of your provision for us this day and every day. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. The closing hymn is not one we often sing.